knows your organization better than you. You are the nonprofit expert. In the Nonprofit Experts podcast, you'll join me, Mary Gladstone Highland, as I engage in conversations with leaders across the sector who are just like you, tackling challenging problems and finding creative solutions. Listen in to hear strategies you can implement in your organization today. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Mary Gladstone Highland, and I am excited for this upcoming episode. Today, we're going to talk about something that most nonprofit leaders think is scary. Either that or they talk about it in hushed tones or they avoid the topic altogether. And that topic is lobbying. I know that it's something that most executive directors or boards are worried about touching because they fear how it will impact their 501c3 status. And therefore, they don't even want to bother with lobbying or advocating or any of that business. But lobbying can create real change on behalf of our missions. And as nonprofit leaders, we are always working to see that change in the world. And so it takes something from inside our organization or inside the communities that we work in to the larger scale, to impacting larger communities. And sometimes it's change that you can see happen, which as nonprofit leaders doesn't always occur. So today I have a great conversation with a nonprofit leader who is working to support families so that they can advocate for themselves and for their communities. And he also has some tips on how to incorporate lobbying and advocating into your own nonprofit and your own programs. Stick around till the very end because of course we will pull out highlights for you to remember so that you can apply them to your own organizations. But let's get started. everybody and welcome back to the Nonprofit Experts. This is Mary Gladstone Highland, your host, and I am here with my friend Nick today and he's going to tell us about something that his organization is involved in. And when I heard this story, I thought, this is something that my podcast listeners need to hear about. So Nick, will you introduce yourself to us? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Nick Lutton and I'm the Family Engagement Program Manager for Family Voices of California. Uh, Family Voices of California is a statewide collaborative of parent-run centers working to ensure quality health care for children and youth with special health care needs in the state of California. And you work with a lot of project partners. Can you tell me about it? Absolutely. Um, So Family Voices of California is not its own nonprofit. We are under the umbrella of Support for Families, um, And support for families in San Francisco is what's called a PTI or a parent training and information center, as well as an FRC, a family resource center. And I apologize in in advance if I use acronyms, but I'll always tell you what they mean. Um, (laughs) And parent training and information centers and FRCs are um, funded through the state of California, as well as the Office of Special Education Programs to provide resources and supports to children and youth with intellectual disabilities, as well as within the school system and navigating uh, resources throughout uh, the state of California that might come with those. And so our partners in San Francisco 
which we fall under, do an unbelievable job of serving that community. And at the same time, um, shed a light on issues that, again, are very difficult for families to go ahead and come forward with when you have a child with a disability within the school system um, or just outside in general in the, in the community. It's nice to have someone who is an expert in the field to talk to. And the nice part about PTIs and FRCs is that a majority of people that work there have children um, or a loved one with a disability. So they've been through the same process that you have, and they have that emotional connection with you. Yeah, I bet that that is helpful to parents who maybe don't exactly know where to turn or what resources are available, um, and especially to get that guidance from somebody who is like you, who knows kind of the road that you're on, the journey. Absolutely. Uh, Previously, before I worked with Family Voices, I worked for a PTI for six years, and uh, parent training information centers are unbelievable. And anyone, it ranges from uh, early intervention from zero to three, all the way up to adult transition, any school issues, behavioral issues. And that's not the only thing that uh, PTIs and FRCs do. They just offer support in general because the branch uh, of the tree of disability is is very large. And so it, it's unbelievable to have that support. And I highly recommend that anyone... Um, Within the state of California, no matter where you are, if you have a child or a loved one where you think they might not be meeting their developmental milestones or perhaps are struggling in school, to reach out to your local parent training and information center or family resource center. And you can do that by uh, looking up uh, theparentcenterhub.org. And by zip code, it'll tell you exactly where it is that they are so you can get some support. And these are programs that are all over the country? Yes. So uh, parent training information centers are all over the country um, and family resource centers are as well. Uh, The difference is is in regards to training. So parent training and information centers put on trainings on specific things. So say uh, the individualized education plans, so children with IEPs, behavior intervention plans, Um, They talk about early intervention. They talk about developmental milestones, transition into high school, the regional center, the Lanterman Act, uh, as well as uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So it's a very wide array of knowledge base that, again, if your child is in special education or has a special health care need, it's very difficult to navigate. And it's nice to have organizations that are there to be able to inform uh, in a culturally sensitive way, but at the same time in parent-friendly language. Because what I just Mm -hmm. talked about is very complex. It doesn't sound like it, but it is. It's very complex. And so you need someone who can navigate you through and just as a parent, be there to support you. So tell me about project leadership. Uh, So at Family Voices of California, our... um, The way in which we do things is a little bit different. We are focused on children and youth with special health care needs, not so much the educational realm. And because of that, um, we look at things at a systematic level. Mm -hmm. And for the state of California, there are only two of us. Um, So for one of the largest states in the nation, uh, you would assume there'd be more, but there's only two. And what project leadership is, 
It's a parent and family advocacy training program. And the overall goal is to increase the number of family members of children with special health care needs uh, who are prepared and supported to become advocates for health care policy and service improvements. Um, the project leadership curriculum introduces parents and caregivers to really the nuts and bolts of advocacy. Um, and we've done that now where it used to be a seven session training course, and we're actually adapting it to be more online and more inclusive. Um, our program is funded through the Lucille Packard Foundations for Children Health, which again, we could not do without them. And it's an unbelievable program that I took uh, about four years ago before working with Family Voices, and it changed my life. And what it really does is it teaches you not only disability history, but how your voice as a parent, as a professional, is so important when it comes to systematic change. It teaches you how to get involved, what local government, what state government is, how those entities work, how to go ahead and make sure that you understand what your why is, which is extremely important when telling your story to strangers, um, as well as, again, just looking at the aspects of who it is that you and your family are and how do you go ahead and express that to people that do not have a insight on what your daily life is. And for those of us who have children with special health care needs, it's extremely complex for me to explain to you what it's like in a you know 90 second speech, but we teach them to do that. We also teach them to do that at the local level, at the county level, as well as get involved at the state level. Um, and project leadership has an unbelievable success rate. About 68% of the people that go through the training end up serving on a decision-making body, which oh, is wow. unbelievable. We're so excited about that. And it's something that we continue um, to praise. And we're constantly getting, uh, constantly getting inquiries in regards to, you know, putting families on decision-making bodies. And because they have been through project leadership and they've been given the tools and the confidence to go ahead and articulate their story in the correct way for that specific body, uh, we're able to place those family members where they'll be able to really truly enact systematic change. And so the overall program in and of itself is something that changed my life when I took it. I ended up uh, taking it uh, four years ago, uh, right before the pandemic started. And uh, I got on way too many boards. <laughs> I got, it was, it, it, it ignites a fire under you. It really mm -hmm. does because you realize that your voice is extremely important and that you can enact change um, to where I had to resign from a couple of them because I was over, I was overly enthusiastic and there's uh -huh. nothing wrong with that. Um, and that's something we actually talk about during, uh, during the training, which is again, maybe start at the local level right? Get involved in your local CAC, which is a community advisory committee. Every school district has one, and that's specifically for special education. Uh, perhaps move on to a county board. Uh, recently, I resigned as the Fresno County Chair of the Behavioral Health Board and the Forensics Committee. Um, or go ahead and get on something federal uh, or statewide. Uh, right now, I uh, currently on the Office of Administrative Hearings Advisory Council for Special Education for the State of California. Um, or go talk to your senators or your assemblymen 
And we help utilize that through programs uh, that we have, which is called the Health Summit and our Legislative Day. Well, yeah, I imagine if, especially if you are a parent who is like stuck in the muck and mire of just trying to figure out IEPs, like and all the complexity that's involved with that and everything that goes along. And if somebody comes up to you and they say, you know, we want you to go advocate, that that might seem really intimidating. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this program gives people the tools that they need, because on the flip side, if we don't have families who are, you know, wise to the issues that uh, families with children with disabilities experience, and if those teams are made up of people who who don't have that experience in making the decisions, then how are they going to make the right decisions for families, you know? Um, and so I can imagine it's, it's very meaningful. Hey folks, if you want to learn more about project leadership and family voices of California, you can log on to their website, www.familyvoicesofca.org. And there you can find more information on the organization and project leadership in particular. You may be somebody who's interested in offering a similar program in your area, or maybe you're a parent who's interested in being an advocate and who's been inspired by this episode. Either way, check them out. They're a great organization offering excellent programming, and you should know more about them. All right, back to our conversation. So this is why we originally talked about having you here, because when we were first chatting about this, you were telling me about your legislative day and it was really compelling. So for our uh, listeners, can you tell us a little bit about that day and what it's like? Oh, of course. So one of the things that I think is so impressive and, and um, just it's so heartfelt when you, when you get there and it's a, it's a huge process for us to set it up, but um and again, with Family Voices of California, just a prerequisite, um, you know, we sit on multiple, myself and my uh, my boss, we sit on multiple state advisory committees as part of what it is that we do. Um, and that health summit and the legislative day is put together in a package. And basically, we have a three to four day, um, basically, workshop where we're going to go ahead and we pull in from our partners, um, which we have a substantial amount. Um, we're part of the California Dental Association, uh, you know, Cal Optima, um, the California Children's Hospital Association, uh, Pediatric Day Healthcare Coalition, in regards to just some of the National Health uh, Law Institute, and, you know, just so many that I really couldn't list. We're really good partners with Disability Rights California and and help and those partners come and what they do is they present on specific topics about health and children um, with special health care needs and throughout that time as you're doing that myself or someone in our organization is setting up time at the capitol in sacramento for these parents or these professionals to be able to speak to either a, a senator or someone uh, on their staff and so when we did it this year, uh, we did our health summit virtually because of the pandemic. And then we went up to Sacramento. We had an unbelievable turnout of uh, parents who take time out of their day 
to go ahead and come up to Sacramento from all over the, you know, all over California, which is when you have a child with a special health care need or an intellectual disability is extremely difficult to do. And mm -hmm. so every time someone comes, we're very, very grateful that they show up. And basically what happens is, is that we have one or two guest speakers on legislative day where they talk about policy, when they talk about advocacy and it gets everybody, I don't want to say riled up because that's not our intention, but it gets them in the mindset of what they've learned through project leadership. And at the same mm -hmm. time, what it is they're about to do where most people do not speak to legislators within the houses all the time or staffers. I do it all the time and I still get nervous. And mm -hmm. so for parents who might, this might be their first encounter with a public official, it's extremely complex, it's nerve wracking. And so we're there to help them through it, to let them say whatever it is that they want to say. And what we did, we all took a great walk uh, from the, the Holiday Inn uh, where we were at down to uh, the Capitol. And they got to meet with uh, four different senators' uh, offices. And they got to talk about a wide range of issues. And again, what we do is we present information. We don't lean one way or the other. We present information on certain things that are happening. And if a parent wants to talk about it or if it's important to them, then that's what it is that we want them to talk about. If education and IEPs is what you're interested in and you want to talk about the laws in regards to that, that's what you do. If you have a child who utilizes um, California Children's Services or CCS uh, or the whole child model or enhanced care management, then we want you to talk about that. We have a lot of parents that uh, rely on private duty nursing uh, for our children and youth with special health care needs. And that's right now very difficult because of the rate increases uh, with Medi-Cal. Or if, again, if you want to talk about the Medi-Cal unwinding with the public health emergency, um, which is a very complex issue where about 300,000 children are, used, are losing their Medi-Cal coverage every month right now. Mm -hmm. um, those issues are brought forward to those legislators. And as that's happening, you can see the difference from before and after from our graduates and the people that have shown up because now they feel as though their voice does truly matter because someone listened. And from legislative day, people go on to do amazing things. We had three people write letters to the governor right after legislative day. And these are people who were not involved with local or county level advocacy whatsoever, but they were so inspired by getting there and being able to tell their story that they were able to do that. And it's, we have unbelievable sponsors for the health summit and legislative day, but it is a fantastic um, option uh, for parents and for, you know, and for caregivers. Uh, and it's something that we really love to put on, especially as a, uh, as an F2F. So I can imagine that that would be such a confidence boost and so inspiring for the families that participate. What's the impact for those legislators that hear those stories? It's profound. Um, and I, I always try to not minimize it. Uh, but when we ask people to come up, we try as hard as we can to help them with accessibility issues for their children, because I want them to bring their children. I want to bring my children because when you put a face to what you're talking about, it makes things real. 
you can be the most articulate person in the room. And I can be a fantastic orator when it comes to making a speech or speaking with groups of people. But at the end of the day, when you see a child that has a special healthcare need or might have, you know, a G tube or a trach or a cochlear implant, or you can tell has an intellectual disability, it hits the staffers as well as the legislators a little bit harder mm-hmm. because it's something that you can't ignore. Um, and even for those that do not bring their children, when you hear the heartfelt pleas of these parents and what it is that they're asking for, I've seen changes in staffers who might have not known about these issues, or it's not something that's on the forefront of their mind. And the senators or assemblymen who they know about it, but once it's brought forward to them to realize how difficult life is and the supports and services that the state of California provides, even though um, are fantastic compared to other states, need improvements. And this is why. Um, It's very profound on them and it definitely makes an impact. And it only does that because of the parents' diligence when it comes to advocating and being able to speak up. But to be able to do that, you have to be confident enough to be able to say these things in front of someone who has immense power. And that's what project leadership gives you the, uh, it gives you not only the opportunity, but it also helps you formulate your story. Does your organization advocate or lobby on behalf of your clients already? Or maybe that's experience that you have as a nonprofit leader. I'll tell you a story from my own experience. Early in my career, I worked at an organization that supported deaf and deafblind individuals living in poverty. That's something that I've shared before. But a story that I haven't told you is that we lobbied on behalf of our clientele and it was a very moving experience. We worked in a state that had an excellent disability awareness department and they had a staffer for deaf individuals rights and a staffer for blind individuals rights, but they didn't have a staffer to specifically support deaf blind residents and they had a significant number of deaf blind residents. So the services that they were offering weren't an exact fit for that clientele. So as an organization, we lobbied on behalf of the establishment of a third staffer to focus specifically on our clientele's needs. And what was particularly inspiring about that event was that it was successful and we got to see the change happen and the benefits for our clients. I wonder what stories you could tell about the changes that have occurred because of your own lobbying or advocating actions. Let us know. Share those stories with us. We'd love to hear. So you hear from a lot of nonprofit leaders that they're terrified to even touch advocating, yeah. lobbying um, because of its impact on their 501c3 status. So yeah. what tips would you give that nonprofit who's never tried to even touch any advocating or lobbying yet? And, and can you tell us the difference between the two and how they impact nonprofits? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, so the difference between advocacy and lobbying, really, when it comes to nonprofits, is people really, 
I, I look at it as let's talk about the IRS, right? Because that's what it truly is. Um, advocacy is an activity um, by an individual or a group that aims to create change in public policy to support a mission or a cause. And so again, with advocacy, I might, um, you know, I might want to change something within say, you know, my local school board, or I want to change something uh, within the regional center system, which helps children with developmental disabilities in the state of California. And by doing that, I gather a whole bunch of people together and, you know, we want to write a letter or we want to support, you know, something. Um, advocacy is really just speaking up mm-hmm. in, in, in the terms of how things look. It's, it's how do you just speak up? And there's different types of advocacy, individual advocacy, there's supported av- advocacy. Um, I, I try to tell people to think of advocacy as when you go to the, um, the store and the person rings you up and it's the wrong price. When you speak up and you say, hey, that's the wrong price, that's advocating for yourself. And mm-hmm. I know it's very simplistic to what it is that we're talking about in the scheme of things. But that truly is what advocacy is. It's about being able to use your voice effectively. Lobbying is a little bit different. And under the tax law, lobbying generally consists of communications with legislators that are intended to influence specific legislation, um, including ballot measures. So when you're directly contacting legislators or staff members about a particular issue, a law or a ballot measure, that's where it gets a little bit fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And again, I understand why people are hesitant and especially nonprofits are hesitant Um, you know, one of the main reasons being is that, again, it can affect their 501c3 status. And it's unfortunate. It's something that we try uh, not to do because, again, we want to make sure that we're in compliance and, you know, we're not worried about things. Um, What I would recommend is to go ahead and figure out what the difference is because there's lobbying, lobbying, And then there's grassroots lobbying and grassroots lobbying is what we do a lot, which is support for different types of uh, initiatives. So if I'm passing information along to the public, like say there's, this is the last chance for public comment on AB 116. If I'm passing that information along and it happens to be with a partner of ours, is that me lobbying? Well, no, because I'm passing information along that's publicly accessible, but I want my parents who are associated with Family Voices of California to know because this might be might affect them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the grassroots aspect of it. Um, Now, if you say we want to sign a letter of support in regards to AB 116 and you put your letterhead on it and you sign on with all that, you can do that. And that is lobbying. That's direct lobbying. But with that, you have to know what the IRS guidelines are. And so it's really about annual expenditures. So, and it goes, you can look on the IRS's website for this, but it's, I kind of give it the 20% rule. So $500,000 or less within your, um, within your organization, you have a 20% overall lobbying limit. Mm -hmm. And there is a calculate, there's actually an IRS calculator for this um, on their website. But what I recommend is that everybody put together a spreadsheet in regards to their lobbying actions and how long, because it's, it's broken down into hours. 
Because when you're talking about money and monetary compensation and things of that nature, right? So if it takes me 20 minutes to put together an email and send it out, well, that's 20 minutes of lobbying time if it's in that correct category, right? And you need to make sure that that's accounted for because if any time the IRS wants to go ahead and take a look, you want to be able to say, this was lobbying, this was grassroots, this is the amount of time we spent, and it did not go over the allotted 20% that we're allowed. And that's why our partnership with Support for Families is extremely, uh, not only advantageous, but it's unbelievable because Support for Families might want to support something, and we want to support something. And when we do that, what we do at Family Voices of California affects Support for Families because they hold our 5013C because we don't have one. So we have to make sure what we're doing, we're collaborating uh, in an unbelievable way. So again, I hope that that kind of explains the difference between those two. Um, and again, so, I, I apologize. Go ahead. No, yeah. Sorry. As, as an example, if you uh, were trying to address an issue and you were talking to your legislator and you said, you know, here's, the, here's how uh, this issue impacts me. Mm-hmm. That's advocating, right? Because you're not saying, and I want you to take action on these policies in this way, right? Absolutely. For an, for an individual, absolutely. If And for, for an organization, how would so, that be different? So for an organization, if you're directly talking to legislators or their staff in regards to a particular issue, then that would be direct lobbying because you're mm-hmm. actually talking to them. Um now, again, setting up meetings and stuff like that, which what I do, that's not that's not it. Um, but when you're directly talking to staffers or legislators, that is direct lobbying. Mm-hmm. If it has to do with a specific ballot measure or a particular law. And so as an individual, it's different because as an individual, you are advocating for something that would help your child, right? But as an organization with the amount of partners that we have, our reputation on the Hill, we have to be careful because if I'm going to talk to somebody directly and say something on behalf of our organization, then it becomes lobbying. And that hour Mm -hmm. that I spent talking, I need to put in that column of there's an hour of lobbying time speaking about or talking about, you know, X, Y, Z bill. Um, So that's kind of where it, it comes together when it comes to those two things. And it sounds like, you know, with everything in the nonprofit sector, being proactive is key, right? So rather to, than just like bumbling into advocacy and lobbying, do your research, find out, you know, what your allotment is so that if anybody came knocking and trying to figure out, you know, did you stay within the guidelines, you can say, here's exactly what we are allowed. Here are the activities that we engaged in. And this is, you know, where we fell below the, below the threshold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and- you know, all, everything seems like advocacy, especially within our world, right? Whether um, it's the National Organization of Rare Diseases or United Cerebral Palsy. I mean, you know, we all have different causes, um, but not all advocacy is lobbying. And that's where it makes it confusing for people and especially for organizations. And again, if I was going to say key takeaways from it, it would be that you can lobby, you can advocate and lobby at the same time. Um, and there's no reason why you shouldn't, but you have to get organized. 
And you got to track and report your lobbying to make sure that you're within that 20% threshold. Now, if you're a larger organization, it's a little bit larger than 20%, but you want to make sure that you're tracking those hours of what it is that you're doing. Um, And again, you just want to maximize the amount of advocacy work uh, that you do. Because again, the more advocacy work that you do, the better off we have as a society in regards to systematic change, Um, whether that be grassroots or direct lobbying. I think the fear is there and the fear is justified because organizations that don't deal with these things all the time um, are hesitant because it's very complex. And the last person you want sending you a letter is the IRS. I can tell you that. Um, But... And, you know, being a part of a larger um, F2F, we deal with this all the time because our our F2F is uh, substantial and children and youth with special health care needs and their parents that utilize the family, I'm sorry, F2F is family to family, um, is, is very complex and we support specific issues and we also promote engagement. And those two things are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you've made the case for why, you know, it would be advantageous for organizations to think about what are the issues they can lobby for and how could they impact their clients or their issue area? Um, Because what it does, it seems, is it takes that nonprofit out of just the interior, like this is what we do here. And it helps them to be able to impact the larger, the larger audience, the larger scale. Absolutely. And I mean, I would give a resource to everybody. It's a a training that I think is fantastic. Um, Boulderadvocacy.org does an unbelievable training on what's the difference between lobbying, you know, grassroots and advocacy. Um, And it's on their website. And I, I find it extremely useful, not only for ourselves here, uh, but just in general, so you can understand a little bit, how does the reporting work, what it is that we do, and you know how do we get there? Awesome. Well, thank you, Nick. This has been such a great conversation. I know that people who are listening are learning a lot from this, and I hope that you know people are taking action. If you do, we want to hear about it. So uh, make sure that you let us know. Uh, but thanks for being a part of this conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I can imagine that you are excited about the opportunity to get out there and start lobbying and advocating on behalf of your mission now. I know that that conversation inspired a lot of creativity in myself. Some tips from our conversation that I think are important are, Nick walked us through the difference between lobbying and advocating. That's important for you as a nonprofit leader because understanding the difference between the two will help you to be more prepared and help you to make sure that your 501c3 status is protected. He also talked about the importance of preparation. Simply determining your allotted lobbying percentage, tracking your activities, and knowing what you want to advocate for or lobby for and why, who you want to approach and why, can set your mind at ease and allow you to take full advantage of the opportunity. But most of all, Nick shared with us compelling stories of how advocating and lobbying can support your mission. He talked about how project leadership is helping families to feel empowered to advocate for themselves and for their needs. 
And I bet you can think of thousands of ways that you can apply these techniques for your own client's needs. I encourage you to give it a try. And if you do, let us know. We want to hear about it. If you are enjoying this podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, like, share it with a friend, and check us out for our next episode, which will be our final in this season, our holiday episode, where we will be talking about the common nonprofit questions that we have received over the past year. Until then. Until then.